Howdy, and welcome to the Six Gun Justice Podcast, where we saddle up and ride hell for leather into the blazing six-gun action of the Western genre in books, movies, TV, and any other media at home on the range. I'm your host, Paul Bishop. For more than 30 years, men's adventure model Steve Holland graced the front of thousands of paperbacks, magazines, and comic book covers. Along with an uncountable number of lesser-known characters, Holland's visage became associated with such famous icons as Doc Savage, Conan the Barbarian, Sherlock Holmes, and James Bond. Perhaps, however, it is the images of Steve Holland riding roughshod across the Wild West as America's original pop culture cowboy that are his true legacy. With his lean, rangy frame, chiseled square jaw, his deadly gaze and expressive face— Holland sat high in the saddle like no one before him or since. Joining me today as my guest is Michael Stratford, who has been driven to preserve and document the uncountable images from Steve Holland's legendary career as an artist's model. Working in the entertainment industry for over three decades, Michael's talent for turning floundering radio stations into dynamic broadcasting entities brought into the attention of Quincy Jones, who appointed him vice president of artists and repertoire for Jones's Quest Records, a joint venture with Warner Brothers. Michael later supervised the DVD special features department for Columbia Home Entertainment before moving over to Sony Pictures Home Entertainment, where he ultimately oversaw the creation of original content at Sony-owned online outlet Crackle.com. However, pursuing his personal quest, Michael has done more than simply collect photographs and cover paintings pertaining to Steve Holland. His deep dive research and family interviews have provided a distinctive portrait of the man behind the images, a man whose natural talent, highly developed skills, and understanding of movement and the human body took him to the top of his chosen profession. Following Steve Holland, the Torn Shirt Sessions, and Steve Holland, the world's greatest illustration art model, Michael's third book, Steve Holland Cowboy, further examines the career of a -a once-in-a-lifetime talent who for over 30 years provided the face of testosterone-driven heroism. Michael is currently executive director of the Worldwide Content Creation Group at Warner Brothers Pictures. Howdy, friend. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Six Gun Justice podcast. Howdy, Paul. Thanks so much for having me. I love your book, Steve Holland, Cowboy, so much. I needed to get in touch with you and ask you to be on the podcast with me because this is one of those essential niches of the Western genre. We don't really think about that much, and yet it has played such a part in our image of the West. First of all, thanks for having me because I've been enjoying listening to your podcast and reading your different posts and writings over the years. So it's an honor and a privilege to be here. I think great illustration art for paperback covers tend to be overlooked. They're kind of taken for granted. Oftentimes, they don't really resonate unless they're either really good or really bad. And I felt as I was examining the breadth of Holland's career, there was so much variance in terms of the illustrations and the quality of illustrations and the range of illustrators and sometimes even photographed covers. It felt like this deserved its own examination for people that were interested in him and interested in Western art, Western novels and illustrators. So I was excited to go down another deep, dark rabbit hole and start pulling together assets that make up Steve Holland Cowboy. You're right, because not only are paperbacks sometimes considered disposable entertainment, Western paperbacks sometimes even more so. It is really a crime when it doesn't get the attention it truly deserves for all of the pleasure and entertainment that it's given. When did you first become aware of Steve Holland? 
I first became aware of Holland when I was a kid. I was living in Cleveland, Ohio, and there was an old bookstore called Kay's Books on the sign outside. It purported to be the largest bookstore in America. Who knows? <laughs> Hype it, is everything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. As a kid in Cleveland and the store was big, I said, okay, I believe that. So I would go in there regularly to pick up secondhand comic books, and they had a really nice section on books on movies, which at the time, early 70s, there weren't nearly as many as there are now. So one day I was standing in line waiting to check out, and I saw this paperback cover of Doc Savage, The Giggling Ghost. I had never heard of Doc Savage. There was just something about the image. It was clearly a painting, but it was so photorealistic. I like to say it was a picture taken with a magic camera. I picked the paper back up and I read the caption on the back about Doc Savage. And Kay, the woman that owned the bookstore, said, oh, we've got a lot more Doc Savage books right over there. So I walked over and I was just blown away by probably 30 or 40 different James Obama painted Steve Holland posing covers of Doc Savage. So that was my introduction to Steve Holland, even though I didn't know it at the time. Covers are so important. I will pick up a book for its cover, and I will buy it for its cover, not caring what the story is inside sometimes. Exactly. To an extent, it serves the same purpose as a movie poster. Can you capture a consumer or a viewer's imagination with this one image? Can you capture it enough to make them want to put down 10 or $15 to go into a theater or back then put down 75 cents to get a paperback and hope that the adventure inside is equal to the adventure that's presented on the cover? Here you are, a young kid, you're in the bookstore and you're doing your thing and you discover Doc Savage and you love the covers that are on the front. Are you even aware that it's Steve Holland at this point? No idea. I didn't know Steve Holland existed until I read an article in Starlog magazine in the 90s. It was an interview with James Bama and Bama talked about Holland. And then maybe years later, Will Murray did an interview with Holland. I think he did the interview and then Holland passed and the interview was ran maybe seven or eight months after he passed. Those were the first two times I really kind of connected the dots. How and why did it become important to you to document Holland's extraordinary career? I mean, this is not an immediate leap to make. What took you there? Initially, when I read those articles, I thought it's cool to know there was a real guy that actually inspired Bomb's paintings. That was kind of it. But then over the years, when I discovered Bob Dice's Men's Adventure Facebook page and his website, and he had articles, and I continually saw Holland popping up on these magazine covers, it's like, wow, this guy did more than just Doc Savage. That piqued my curiosity. Then I started doing a little research, and Bob and I got to know each other and became fast friends. And he started giving me more information. And I was like, wow, this guy's career is incredible. And this is really Americana. How is there nothing substantial on him? And I saw the great piece you did on your website that gave me a lot of initial information. And I said, this guy is worthy of having a real examination of his career and his life because nobody has done the volume of work for the amount of time he did with the consistent level of quality up until the time he last posed as Doc Savage at age 66. At that point, I got really fascinated and the rest is whatever it is. Well, with that established, I'm going to stampede the cattle and then we can get on with our feature on Steve Holland. 
Known as the face that launched a thousand paperbacks, artist model Steve Holland embodied and defined the words rough, tough, manly, and heroic. In the 70s, Steve Holland's skill for striking action poses made him the first and often only model choice for the top illustration artists of the day. When editors insisted their artists use different cover models, the results were never as creative or effective. As a result, sales of their hero-centric paperbacks plummeted when Holland's presence didn't grace the covers. That's an amazing thing to think about. You've got a male model who's dominating the paperback cover industry, and if he's not on the cover, the paperbacks don't sell as well. Whether the reader was aware of it or not, there was a level of comfort when they saw Holland on a cover because his visage essentially guaranteed that there was going to be some type of manly, rough, tough, ready-to-rumble adventure within the pages of the book. As I understand it, Holland didn't really start out to be a male model. He wanted to be an actor. Yeah, he did act for a while. The career never took off the way one would hope. He actually wasn't really looking to act when he went to visit his brother who was working for RKO. And one of the producers, I can't recall which one, saw him and said, hey, you should act. You know, we want to throw you in some things. He's like, "Okay, great. So he just kind of started. He was really interested in Broadway and stage, but stage work really kind of freaked him out. He did do a play with Julie Harris, which is probably his most notable theatrical play. And then in the 50s, he did the Flash Gordon television series that was shot in Germany. I think there were 39 episodes. After that, his acting career kind of dried up. During that time, he was, I guess, in the last phases of his acting career, he started dabbling in modeling. And then modeling really took off, and he's never looked back. Before he hit the paperback scene, he still was a dominant model because of all the covers and interior illustrations he became part of in the men's adventure magazines, or the sweats as they were sometimes called. Lurid action covers with enticing titles to their stories to draw readers in. But these were full of action, full of color. Steve Holland fit right in. Yeah. And the artists he worked with at the time, Norm Eastman, Earl Norum, James Bama, and John Duilo, there were so many amazing artists that painted those magazine covers. They had a comfort level with Holland because he was known for being on time, giving you more than you needed and easy to work with. So he was consistently in demand. But taking a quick sidestep, while he was doing that stuff, He was also doing more sedate posing and illustration modeling for magazines like Saturday Evening Post. He was often in a suit and tie or as a Canadian Mountie, and it wasn't always the sweats. So he was kind of all over the place. Interesting, because his face is so recognizable that somebody like the Saturday Evening Post wouldn't hesitate to use him as a model, even though he's appearing on these lurid men's adventure magazines. Even though he didn't consider himself a good actor, he had enough awareness of his body and what an expression could do or what it could mean that he could give the very calm, sedate look of a physician, perhaps, or a businessman in an advertisement or a cheating husband. So there's a different kind of energy he would project in illustrations for magazines like Saturday Evening Post as opposed to what he would do for Stag or any of the other men's adventure magazines. In the men's adventure magazines, he was often shown with his female counterpart, the beautiful Eva Lynn. 
They rescued or tortured or chased each other, interchanging roles as damsels and hunks in distress to fit the needs of whatever the story was in the Men's Adventure magazine cover. Do you know if he had a friendly relationship with her, if they hung out together? They had a very friendly work relationship. They didn't really hang out together. I was fortunate enough a couple of years ago when Bob Dice put out his great book on Eva Lynn. She lives in Los Angeles, as do I, and we met for coffee. She signed the book for me, and we did an interview when she talked about Holland. And She said he was really friendly, really professional. She never saw him outside of the office, but they just instantly clicked when it came to working. And she said, I never had a moment of discomfort or displeasure with him. He was great, and I wish he could be around to see the acknowledgement that he's starting to get now. That's fantastic. The other thing with a model like Steve Holland, you do a cover for a magazine, and it's that one-month cover. And maybe the next month or the month after, you get another cover. But here's Steve Holland. He's so much in demand that he's often on two or even three different men's adventure magazine covers. During the course of the month, he's appearing in Saturday Evening Post and other magazines. This is a guy who was everywhere all the time. Yeah, and he was everywhere all the time for a very long time. His active career was about 32, 33 years. So he was on the scene through so many different eras. It's unbelievable. That's one reason I felt it made sense to really spotlight this guy and his career, because he represents an idea of a segment of America and the way America wanted to see itself over several different periods. He's over all different kinds of media. We've talked about the Slick magazines, the Men's Adventure magazines, but he was also on the cover of comic books. Yeah, yeah, he did quite a few comic books. There were some photo comics of a fictional character called Bob Colt, and he was dressed almost like Hopalong Cassidy in these really colorful outfits, and there were color photographed covers. But he did a number of painted illustration posing covers for George Wilson, who did the majority of the gold key comics in the 60s. So Holland was the Phantom. He was Magnus Robot Fighter. He was Turok, Son of Stone. He was Flash Gordon. He was even Barnabas Collins in the Barnabas Collins Dark Shadows comics. He was a variety of monster and horrific characters in Ripley's Believe It or Not, the Twilight Zone comics. I mean, he just was every man. He did Captain America for Marvel. Tom Palmer sent me a copy of a painting that he did of Captain America fighting like three or four Marvel villains. And he also sent me the reference photos that shows that Holland was not only Captain America, he was also all of the villains. <laughs> That's a story in itself, right? You're fighting a trio of villains and they all have your face. Yeah, I mean, one of the funny things about Holland to me is if you look closely in a number of Men's Adventure magazine covers, if you see Holland and like four or five other guys, if you look closely, you can see that those four or five other guys are also Holland. This was the guy who appears to have played more recognizable heroic characters from Doc Savage to Sherlock Holmes to Tarzan to so many others, more than any other actor or model. Absolutely. There's nobody close to him in terms of the range of characters that he portrayed and the volume. Bama did 62 Doc Savage covers, and Holland was the guy on all of those. And then Joe DeVito did a number of Doc Savage covers, and Holland was the guy on those. And Bob Larkin did a number of Doc Savage covers, and Holland was the guy on all of those. 
in the cowboy genre, James Bama did this character, Nevada Jim. Bama said he painted him with the idea of a Western Doc Savage. He painted him a lot bigger than Steve, but it's clearly Steve Holland. And he did dozens of Nick Carter Killmaster covers. I have started a checklist that's 44 pages, single-spaced, and I know I'm not a third of the way complete. That just blows your mind. That's crazy. He was also doing movie posters, such as Latitude Zero, Sahara Cross, or A Taste for Killing. Everybody's looking for the manliness, the macho-ness of Steve Holland to push their product. And I have no doubt that if he was around today, his avatar would reign over the world of high-tech gaming. No doubt. And I wouldn't be surprised if it actually made a comeback because he has timeless looks. I mean, he has the chiseled features and physique that never goes out of style. I have those Nevada Jim paperbacks Steve Holland was posing on for James Bama. And you can see their connection to Doc Savage. There's a definite, this is Doc Savage in a cowboy outfit sort of approach. They work really well, but it wasn't just Nevada Jim. It was tons of other nameless Western heroic characters. Every time you turn around in a used bookstore, if you went to their Western section and you pulled out all of their Westerns from the 60s through the 70s through the 80s and looked on all the covers, Steve Holland would be on half of them. Yeah, easily. Easily, no doubt. And in the men's adventure magazines and also the paperback arena, I'm told that art directors told the artist, Holland's on every cover. If you insist on using him, try to paint the face differently so that it doesn't look exactly like him because he's on every cover on the stands now. Some illustrators just ignored that, and it's just clearly Holland all the time. And then there are other covers where you can just tell from the body language, even if they've changed the features a bit, you can tell from the body language and the physique that it's Holland. And that's one of the things I want to talk about is it's not just the face. It's Holland's ability to use his body to put an action pose and hold it for long periods of time so the artist can capture it. Yeah, Bob Larkin told me that he and photographer Robert Osanich had a nickname for Steve called Mom, which stood for Man of Motion. He said Holland had such an innate understanding of his body, how to control his body, how to work with his body and lighting to achieve what the illustrator was looking for, that generally what he gave them was better than what they had originally sketched out or intended. Larkin told me, on average, if they booked an hour, Holland would have finished what Larkin needed within 15 or 20 minutes and then gave him another 10 or 15 minutes of different iterations of the original idea. And then they used the back half of that hour to shoot some stuff to just kind of load up for another time. And then they sit out on the stoop and have coffee and cigarettes. That's an incredible skill that is incredibly rare. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Joe DeVito told me when he was first hired to paint Doc Savage, Holland was in his 60s and pretty much retired at that time. So he hired a couple of young guys and they just had the physique and they had the look, but they just weren't giving him what he needed. And so he reached out to Holland to see if he could shoot some photos of him that he could go back to these young guys and have them replicate. And he said, but you know, Mike, when I got with Steve and we shot the photos, that's like, I have to use him. Even though he's older, he still looks great. And these guys will never be able to replicate what he's able to do, even at 66 years old. 
they weren't Steve Holland. Right. The match made in heaven was his relationship with James Bama, despite working with the top illustrators in the business over and over again. Bama used Holland for the model on his first paperback cover commission, A Bullet for Billy the Kid. So right there, he starts off as a Western character with Bama. And they just seem to have a synchronicity that worked so well and translated into the art. Yeah, Bama had intense regard for Holland as a talent, but also as a person. We talked a couple of times before he passed, and Bama was really, really fond of Steve, and he appreciated the quality of his work, but he liked to talk more about Steve Holland, the man. So I think they just connected completely, both professionally and personally, to the extent that when they worked together, it was always easy, and they were always simpatico. Obama referred to Steve Holland as the world's greatest male model, and I don't think anybody's ever argued with that. No, no. I mean, the guy that I guess you could say kind of inherited the throne unofficially was Jason Savas, who was a really popular male model in the 80s and 90s, and I guess into the early 2000s, possibly. And I interviewed him, and he wrote the foreword for my book, Steve Holland, the World's Greatest Illustration Art Model. And he said there's never been any question or even any argument about who stands at the top, who was the pinnacle of that kind of work. And he said he got to work with Steve when he just got into the business. And he said Steve couldn't have been more helpful and couldn't have been more supportive. And he had nothing but great things to say about him. And he was really happy to write the forward. He did a great job. When you first started work on your first book about Steve Holland, How difficult did that project become for you? It was surprisingly easy because when I reached out to James Bama and, you know, I didn't know what I was going to get. He was so kind and so supportive. And he said, hey, you can use my reference photos. You can use my paintings, use whatever you can get. He said, I don't have anything, but I can put you in touch with some people that can give you what they've got and you go from there. So once I had Bama, when I reached out to other surviving illustrators, they were happy to participate because they all really liked Steve. They all enjoyed working with Steve. And then when I reached out to his daughter, Nicole, I had mocked up a copy of the book and I sent it to her. And I said, this is what I want to do. This is the approach I want to take. I would love to interview you if you're open to it. If you're not, I understand but I just wanted to put this on your radar. And she got back to me and she was really excited and surprised. And she was a great help and she remains a friend to this day. I actually just heard from her this morning via email. So the difficulty was tracking down high quality reference photos. I was able to get photos for 52 of the 62 paintings that Bama did. So there's 10 reference photos that I don't have. I've only got a few of Bob Larkin's because he doesn't have access to any of his assets right now. And then Bob Osanich, he was the go-to photographer for illustrators in New York from the 50s until he passed four years ago at like 91. But a lot of his material got destroyed in a fire. And then after he died, from what I understand, for whatever reason, his widow just shredded and destroyed all the negatives. So there are literally millions of images of Steve Holland that we will never see. In the book you did, Steve Holland, the torn shirt sessions, show so many of the reference photos. It really underlines what Steve Holland was capable of doing. 
Yeah, exactly. And when you think about it, he's doing it as a focused character over a period of time, and he never varied the quality of the performance, so to speak. Obama was his own photographer. So there's a particular type of look that I think his photos have as compared to the photos that Osanich did for Larkin and DeVito. All good, just different. But one of the things I really like about the book is you can see over time how Steve ages. But as he ages, it just seems like he becomes more of who he already was. The photos for the Bob Larkin illustrations, Steve had to be 51, and he probably looked better than he ever looked. And then the photos for DeVito, he was in his early 60s, and he definitely aged, but he still looked great, and he still had that vitality. DeVito mentioned once, he said, you know, Mike, even though Steve was in his 60s, he had that eye of the tiger. He had that thing. It was just in his face. He said, you could just see it. It was always there. You've been collecting covers and reference photos for quite a while now. What was it that prompted you to say, I need to do the Western covers books, Steve Holland Cowboy? The Cowboy book to me seemed natural because for all of the genres he was a part of, it seemed like it was five to one Western over everything else. And there were so many beautiful images from intense action to desperate trying to survive visuals to stoic posing to pensive man on a horse on a mountain overlooking valley. There were just so many different looks, feels, emotions Holland and these illustrators brought that to me, those covers really kind of expand what the Western paperback genre is. It's not just a guy on a cowboy horse firing six shooters. There's more to that. And if you want just rip-roaring action, Holland and the illustrators definitely provide that. But I like the range. And that's why in the book, the first chapter is just paintings, illustrations without text that give you these different moods and these different tones and these different feels. And I just felt like it was a great way to kind of set the book up by showing the range of what Western paperback cover art could look like and could make you as a viewer feel. He really became the face of the Wild West in many ways, the face of the frontier. Colin comes from German stock, and he just has that rough-hewn, square-jawed American tenacity that he came by naturally. He was a merchant marine. He built stuff, actually built cabin for himself and his kids in upstate New York. He used to build furniture. He's a guy that got his hands dirty doing things. So I think for him to essay the role of Western heroes, villains, it was a natural fit for him. It wasn't that far removed from the kind of guy that he is. You could imagine Steve Holland back during that era actually fitting in. A lot of actors and models, they're just really contemporary. And when you take them out of a modern day setting and put them in a period environment, they just really stand out like a sore thumb. Holland wasn't that. He fit. He just made it fit. Steve Holland was who he looked like. Absolutely. He was a man's man. But from what I understand, he was very low key, very laid back, quick to action when necessary, but generally made everyone feel like they were the most important person in the room and did not think much of what he did aside from it being a job. I know in his later years, he went to a couple of comic cons and Will Murray said that he was a little embarrassed by the attention, but appreciative. And there were some people that have posted on my blog 
that they met him at a couple of these cons. And he was one of those guys who just felt like you knew him forever. He was just really warm and really friendly. My memory of the first Western covers that I saw with Steve Holland were the Buchanan books by Jonas Ward. Mm -hmm. It was a whole series. His character on the front of those is so laconic and laid back. He just is the hero of those books. You open the book and you start reading the prose. The only picture that you can have in your head of the hero is Steve Holland. Yeah. I don't remember which one it was, but the first Buchanan book I saw, he's like leaning up against a bar counter. And it's just iconic. It just looks like everything you would want Buchanan to be. And when you read that book, you can't see anything other than him in that pose. The thing that really isn't talked about with Steve Holland is he's on literally thousands of covers officially. But he's also on thousands of covers unofficially because his portrait was ripped off so many times. Yeah, I mentioned earlier, I've got this 44-page checklist of covers that I've been amassing. And these are only of covers that I know are definitely Steve Holland. But there's another checklist of covers that I'm pretty sure are Steve Holland. But, you know, I can't swear to it, but I'm 95% sure. So there was such a demand for him and what he brought to these covers that I guess it made probably for the best and worst of times for a lot of these paperback companies because we don't want to use this guy again, but we have to use this guy again because our sales suffer if we don't use this guy. So, you know, we'll just do it and make the best of it. Michael, there's the clanging of the chuck wagon triangle telling me it's time to wrap this episode up with some shootouts and shoutouts. Thanks for riding the trail with me today and for all the hard work you've put into preserving the legend of Steve Holland. It's just a mammoth effort and very, very worthwhile. Paul, thanks again so much for having me on. I love the show and I really appreciate you supporting my Steve Holland efforts and I will keep riding. For more info about Michael's Steve Holland books, you can visit his website at stevehollandbook.com. You can order them from amazon.com as well. Thanks to our Six Gun Justice Patreon subscribers for their one-time or monthly support. If you are so inclined, you can help cover the cost of the podcast by using the button at the top of our website, sixgunjustice.com. Prior Six Gun Justice podcast episodes continue to be available on all major podcast streaming platforms. Until we meet again, be kind to each other, be kind to yourself, and may all your trails be happy. Adios for now. I'm out of here. Let's ride. Let's ride.